0: Welcome back. My name is George Brooks. And on today's episode, we've got a chance to talk to Mike Belsito. Mike is the founder of Industry, one of the top product conferences in the world. And he also owns and runs the Community Product Collective. If you haven't seen it, go check it out online. And to add to that, he's also the host of Rocketship.fm. And he's involved in even a a number of other things. He's a very busy guy. But he took the time to, to sit down and chat with me. And we explore what does it take to build a community and more specifically, what does it take to build a community of product people? And um, one of the things that he talked about is that obviously that's had to change as he's putting on conferences and events and a post pandemic world and the challenges that um, presents but also the creative opportunities. I loved how we were able to kind of build a parallel to uh, what it means to build a community and how that actually builds a lot of bridges to how you think about building your teams or your organizations. I think you're really going to love this episode, so let's jump right in. Mike, awesome. thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Yeah, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This will be fun.
0: Why don't you why don't you open up and just tell me a little bit about yourself maybe how did you get into this crazy world of products and everything that is product
1: Yeah so uh, I am you know co-founder of Product Collective and organizer of uh, conference series industry the product conference um I mean that's that's most of what I do now um I keep busy with some other things too as co-host of rocketship.fm uh adjunct professor at Case Western Reserve University um here in Cleveland Ohio but Really, I've been involved in technology startups my whole career. Um, so you know, back when I graduated from business school, 2005, which seems like a lifetime ago, but it's been you know, a while. <laughs> it, it has been. I mean, it's crazy. That was like pre-iphone. That was like pre-pre uh-huh. YouTube even. So it's a it's a different world. But um, it, you know, right out of business school, I took a job at a uh, technology startup company, and that was. I've basically been in tech startups ever since, either as an early employee, as a founder, as an executive. Um, So, and I love that. I love kind of creating things from scratch and being at that very, very early stage. It's kind of where I feel like I had the most value and and where it's most fun for me too. Um, But I, what happened was in 2011, I left that company to start a company of my own. Uh, it was a company called Funeral, And mm. we went the whole route of you know raising capital from mostly angel investors, but there's one VC as well. And um, we had that company for about three years and it was, it was acquired, but I call it a fail set. Oh, we did not achieve yeah. what we really wanted to achieve. It's you know, fair, but-, but you did it. You went for it. Yeah, it's true. And you know, honestly, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that experience. Um, yeah. But what happened is after that acquisition, so it was the kind of acquisition I need to go get a job. Like I was not going to go uh-huh. get a it. beach get for it. a while or anything, I've, but I've, I've been a part of a few of those. I so get it. <laughs> um, but I got recruited by this ticketing company and to be their director of product strategy. And this was, okay. I mean, even though it, it, with the funeral and other jobs, I had that other job I had in the past. Like, I was doing product related things, but I did not sure. identify as being a product person. This was like the first true like product role. It was mm-hmm. right in the title, Director of Product mm-hmm. Strategy. And I remember, um, you know, this this company, they, they were a Ticketmaster competitors. So they do the ticketing for like the Cleveland Cavaliers and yeah. the Detroit yeah, yeah, yeah. Lions and the Final Four. I remember saying to them, like, as they're recruiting me, even, this sounds awesome. I think it could be a lot of fun, but I don't know if I'd be the best fit for it. like I never went to school for product management and they're like, oh no Mike, nobody went to school for product management It's <laughs> not nobody a thing just, No, it's not a thing and yeah. and it pretty much still isn't a thing. I mean there yeah. are a couple of programs there's now, some but, programs
0: but again the people that are really doing it are the ones that kind of figured it
1: out along the way. Exactly. it's exactly it. So what happened is I took that job but when mm-hmm. I took it, I remember thinking to myself, but what happens when they feel like, or what happens when they, they find out, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just making stuff up as I go (laughs) along. So the short of it is I was in that mindset of still wanting to learn what it meant to be a product person, but I was doing it on the fly. And so I was Mm. reading books and blogs and listening to podcasts like this one. And yeah, of course, you know, just, yeah, it was just trying to learn. And right at that point in time, I got asked to speak at this local tech conference in Cleveland and it was just broad tech conference but i would for our local community right so it wasn't there wasn't a focus on product at the time but i remember afterwards meeting with that organizer and saying you know hey i thought this was an awesome thing like you know congrats and he's like well what what can we do to make it better and i'm like well you know honestly i think there are a lot of these kind of broad tech conferences for our local community you know i went to one a couple months ago and it's the same people in the audience same people on stage i said what you ought to do what if you were to focus on something specific in tech Maybe it's product. You know, I'm a product person trying to figure it out. Like, there there aren't a whole lot of things out there for people like me. And he said, yeah. "You seem passionate about this. What what if we did that together?" And so that great was, idea. That, do you want to do it? Yeah, exactly. And so we did it. That that was now yeah. my partner, Paul, and we ultimately created Product Collective and industry. And um, but that that was that whole like that's how I got into product in the first place. And um, that's how we kind of formed product collective and industry. It, it definitely wasn't anything that we, um, you know, it wasn't by design in a way, right? Yeah. It was just one of these things. It wasn't a dream
0: you had of like, you know, right. when you
1: were 12 or anything like that, right? But but it was, it, I guess, similar to eFuneral is one of these things where, you know, I started that company because of a problem that I experienced on my own and my family experience, like yeah. I lost a loved one. This was a case where this was a problem that I was trying to solve for, you know, trying to learn what it meant to be a product person. So, but yeah, anyway, that that's kind of how I got into product and uh, sort of the origin story for, for how product collective got started too. I love that. This, so this show used to be called option
0: five. And Mm. the reason we changed is because no one knew what option five meant and (laughs) we had to explain it every time. And it just, you know, it was a much easier just to be extremely clear, but option five for us was, um, was a story of early on in, in Crema's um, uh, history. We were a small team. We were maybe five people, right? And we had this massive client that came and said, Hey, can you build this platform? And the short answer is, we weren't qualified to build that platform. <laughs> and we went through all these different ways. We were going to hire, we were going to we were going to, you know, somebody, we were going to pull in, you know, third party resources, et cetera. And then we got through it and we basically said, like, we had all these things out on the whiteboard. And then we said, well, why don't we just option five it, which was like Mm. all these four beautifully thought through brilliant options. And then option five was just say yes and figure it out. Mm. And, and we did, we went for it. They, we won the contract and we worked with them and it was, it was a great success. And yet we didn't actually know what we were doing as we were stepping into it. It was literally about that, that taking a little bit of risk. I mean, it was an educated risk. Don't get me wrong, Sure. Right. but stepping into something where I go, I'm passionate about this. We have the skills. We can pull this off. Let's go for it. Um, So I think you definitely had your option five, a couple of those stepping into the different roles and the different stages of your, your story. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. You know what? And then option five is going to stick with me. I love that. Thank you for telling me that story too. Well, okay. So you have created these, you've done something really interesting
0: because You've created a company, really, is a community that it, that fosters a community. So, of course, the Product Collective, um, which then uh, one of your kind of peak events is these industry conferences, and then you have your podcast and everything else. Tell me about what it means to build, a, you know, a product management community or a community in general. What does that take?
1: What does that look like? As you kind of learned that as you went forward. Yeah. You know, so there's a few things that, that come to mind for me. I mean, I think first, and these are things that specific, they're definitely specific for building a product community or a community of product people. But I think even, you know, just building community in general, you, yeah. you sort of have to have these things, which is first a satisfaction, actually helping people. And that's not just for the person that's organizing it. I feel like in general, the, the early people in any community, hopefully the people that are in your community, you know, for, for the years to come, but especially at that early stage, I think everybody has to have that satisfaction in helping other people, you know, sort of that desire to not just take, but, but give. And, and that was, that's something that just for me, I've always, just had that satisfaction. Like I'm always looking for ways that You're I can just help trying to help Brand. Yeah. yeah. Like I've always looked at myself as a connector. So, you know, there's people that I know are amazing people, but they might be looking for that next thing. Like I'm trying to keep my eyes out for them. And so, but I think in a community that's, that's really important because individuals feed off of other individuals. And when everybody's helping each other, they're getting value and, and not, I mean, not really like anybody can create just sort of a you know, a slack, let's just say for anything. And all of a sudden there's people in touch with each other, but are they helping each other? Are they getting value out of it? That's what I think is important for community. Um, I think the other thing that's really specific to product, especially just because again, like we talked about, we did not go to school for this. This is something that we've all kind of learned on the fly is, is having that real curiosity, you know, that uh, like wanting, wanting to actually learn more, Um, wanting to level up your own skills and just kind of grow as a professional. I think it's, it's really important too. Otherwise people might be able to pop in and it's like, if they, they don't really genuinely want to learn, you know, they pop back out, you know, and now they're not coming back
0: and they do weed themselves out pretty quickly.
1: And that's okay, you know. I yeah. think any any kind of community is okay to kind of try out and see if it's right for you. And there's nothing wrong with having people come into your community and and they're not involved long term. You want to find the people that that will be involved long term. But it's just like anything else; like you need to kind of try it out for yourself and see if it's something that's really a fit for you. But um, so those are. I think I think the other thing, and this is maybe especially true for being a community leader. Like if you are looking yeah. to try to start a community of your own or, or kind of kickstart a community of your own. Um, and I've, I've heard this mentioned from Janine, who's she's, she oh, yeah. is a, uh, you know, entrepreneur herself, but also an angel investor. Um, but it's to be that hype person for other people. So yeah. to not just want to help people, but, but to talk them up, to, to look for ways where you can actually be a champion for the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And um, I love that. Like, I think that the, I've never really thought of it in that, in that context before, but I think she's right. Like, I think everybody should be doing that. Not just community people, but everybody should be doing it. But I think, especially if you're trying to lead a community, um, you should be that hype person. That's actually one of the most fun things for me as organizer of industry is like shining a spotlight on people and putting them on the big stage to speak in front of, you know, at some point, you know, over, we had over 1200 people at the last in-person, um, edition of industry that we had. And you know, some of the speakers have been doing it before at other conferences, some of the speakers that we invite though, it's their first time up on a big stage like that. Like maybe they at a meetup. So yeah, that, so I, I get satisfaction in that. And I think any community organizer though, like that should be um, top of mind for you too. So those are some things that kind of come to mind. I think, I think that's absolutely
0: correct. I want to echo back on that. I, I was a part of, I don't know if you guys have it in Cleveland. There's, there's an organization that's based from Kaufman Foundation here in Kansas City called 1 Million Cups and 1 Million Cups. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I think it, it's kind of changed a little bit over the years, but originally its model was, can you, the hypothesis was, can you create an entrepreneurial community uh, over a, a million cups of coffee? Um, and, and that was the basic piece of it, actually the founder of the idea of one million cups is now on my team. And he had roped me into saying, Hey, this thing's starting to take off in Kansas city. Do you want to be a part of it? And then do you, you know, do you want to be a leader in this, this, um, this new thing that we're doing? And at its peak, it had what 400 people meeting every week. Uh, we kind of joked that it was like entrepreneur's church and because Mm. it was regular, we handed out brochures, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, but I think you're absolutely right. What I loved doing as a leader in that community was getting these entrepreneurs that many of the, st- many of them, this was their first time pitching their businesses and we weren't allowed to call it pitching, presenting their businesses. Cause it was a nonprofit. Um, this is the first time being on stage talking about this, this thing that they're extremely passionate about. Some of them did great. Some of them failed terribly, <laughs> you know, and yet right. it was all about trying to make them feel like, Hey, you're doing a great job. It was a. It was the format was you have two minutes to pitch your idea and then um, six minutes of audience questions, and it was just such an incredibly powerful hour of community engagement. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. It was it was really highlighting those people, and it was just it was like, hey, it wasn't about George or Nate or Michael or whatever. We weren't the point of getting together,
1: even though we helped pull it together. You know? and i think that's I that, a big shift. It's so cool. I and i by the way, i remember going to a million cups event or two in cleveland. Yeah. So it definitely made its way okay, to Cleveland. Cool, I don't cool. know if it's still here um but i love that especially for entrepreneurs. I mean, for me, like yes, i'm in this world of product people, but i'm an entrepreneur at heart. Like yeah, that's yeah. that's what i'm doing. And so um the way that my community reacted when E funeral didn't do as well as we had all hoped it would do. Like I'll never forget it. It was, it was positive. And I I wasn't sure what it would be like, right? Like yeah. that's kind of one of the big fears when you have a startup that fails is you're wondering, well, gosh, will will people turn their back on me? You know, can I even get it? I mean, this is what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm like not even, can I start another company again? I'm like, can I get a job? Like if I try to get a job, hire who's going to hire the guy that failed? Exactly. You know, right. Right. Exactly. But it didn't go that way. I had so many people, again, I had offers like immediately when I was letting people know, Hey, we're, we're, we eat funeral was acquired, but you know, we're, I'm winding down my involvement and I, people were so supportive, even investors of ours that knew they weren't going to see a dollar come back. were were supportive of me saying like, let me know when you start another company. I want to invest in it again. And so I think especially for entrepreneurs, we should be propping them up and not just the ones that have those big successes, even the ones that don't have it, because now, I mean, look, product collective is is a success. Like I'm not uh, saying we're the next billion dollar company or something, but like we've, we've been able to make our own way. We've been able to create our own jobs, so to speak. And, um, but if, if we didn't get that kind of support or if I didn't get that kind of support, like, I don't even know if I'd have the confidence to do what I'm doing right now. So that was important to me. You know, what I love about this conversation around community in general is I
0: think, yes, we're talking about actually creating a community around product, but the exact same conversation takes place when you talk about bringing a team together around a product Mm. idea or a new company or, you know, uh, being involved in a, um, a local community for, for something, the same postures. So we talk about on our podcast a lot, we talk about postures and disciplines and structures and postures are like the same mindsets, the same feelings, the same, the same, uh, intentions are, are being, should be by good leaders should be brought in a community, just like they would be if you were a product manager of a team. So I'm, I'm bringing you together, but it's not, you're not coming together because of me, we're coming together for this common purpose. And all of you are gonna to have to, an opportunity to share your perspective. We're gonna be here to, to move this collective idea forward. And I mean, what you're talking about is a is, a, is bigger than just, yes, you, you've created this incredible product community, but it is a way of thinking, which I think is really powerful.
1: Yeah, it, you know, I hadn't really thought of it like that before, but I think you're right. And I think that I, it's one thing that I always try to do is like, anytime I'm learning from people, you know, just hearing or whatever, trying to draw it back in analogs in my own work. And I think the reality is we, we could draw so many analogs in it's all sorts of stories. Like this one, yeah. I think there's big analogs in drawing it back to the team. So I think, yeah, I think you're right about that. Okay, so
0: creating a community, I know, cause I've done this a couple of times, doesn't go without its challenges. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges that you've had to go through or that you've experienced or that you've seen in pulling together the Product Collective or these conferences?
1: um, What's that been like? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, there were a a, a lot of challenges, right? And I think part of it, having never done it before, and this is again true for any kind of uh, entrepreneurial journey, if you're trying to do something that you haven't done before, you have a benefit, I think, because- Ignorance is bliss. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. But what that means is that you're not going to tell yourself, oh, we, we can't do it this way mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's uh, X, Y and Z. I mean, I remember the very beginning people told us there were there were people like that. We would say, hey, we're, we're building this up. We're, we're building a product management community and a conference right here in Cleveland. And there were people that said, well, you know, you can't really do that. I mean, Cleveland, like if you wanted to do it, maybe you go to a community like Chicago, but right. Right. Like people are saying you'd have to do it in the Bay area. You have to do it in New York. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, people aren't going to come fly to Cleveland for that conference. They have all sorts of other things. And, And so we'd hear these things We're like, okay, but the one kind of, um, ace up our sleeve, if you will, at least from a confidence standpoint is one of my, one of my mentors today, even still, but he he's this person, Joe Pulizzi. He started a company called content marketing Institute and the conference was content marketing world, which now is one of the biggest content marketing conferences anywhere. Yeah. He did it right here in Cleveland. He did it. He, he started it here, had it here as an annual recurring conference um, and so, you know, Joe was right there saying, oh yeah, I heard that too. Don't believe a word of that. Like you guys can absolutely do what you're doing right here in Cleveland, just like I did. Um, so that gave us that confidence, but you know, that in the beginning, hearing it over and over that in itself is a challenge. I mean, I will say we bootstrapped, right? So starting with zero budget, you know, we, <laughs> we kicked in a little bit of money each of ourselves, yeah. uh, my partner and I, but you know, we had no real budget. We had, you know, you asked about building the community. We actually started it backwards. We built the conference first. Nobody oh, built the conference that. first, right? Oh, yeah. So, interesting. you know, we we usually, you build up a community. And uh-huh. then, like, once the community is big enough, you say, well, what, what, what are what things if we got, you got together? Conference yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. We started with the conference um, because, if you remember, Paul had already started this other conference. And so, we said, let's reposition that to be product-specific now. And so, right starting a conference when you don't have a community is a big challenge, right? And um, for us, I always say it wasn't build it and they will come, but it was build it and we will find them and make them come. And because (laughs) the early marketing for us was just, I would wake up, two hours early, Paul would wake up two hours early before we would go into our jobs because we still had full-time jobs oh, at this yeah, time. Yeah, And I would just look product people up on LinkedIn. And I would, I, in my mind, it was like a two-hour dra- driving distance radius. That was kind of the the market. And I would say, okay, you know, go to LinkedIn. Uh, product managers in Columbus. And I would find out that this person works for whatever company it might be. I don't know, Columbus, maybe Nationwide Insurance or something. Yeah, and then I'd yeah. guess at the email, and then I would email them. <laughs> and so just that. one-on-one emails like that. And and that is how we built the first conference. I mean, that most of the people, they came because they got a personal email from either me or Paul. And um, yeah, like back, I mean, that, That also helped us in terms of just thinking of what could be this, this community that's much bigger than the conference too, because when we're emailing people, they're responding back saying, Oh, this is super cool. Like, do you do this too? You know, and this might be workshops. This might be, you know, do Mm -hmm. you guys have a Slack? Like, how do you guys keep in touch? So those early emails helped us form what then later became the product collective community. But, um, it all started with that conference. And I think the biggest aha from the conference too, aside from, you know what do we do next was the fact that at that conference i think it was 250 people so pretty modest in terms of total attendance that first year but they came from 21 states and seven countries it was not just that oh, two hour wow. driving distance radius because what would happen is i'd email one person and they would tell their colleague who you know works remotely in a different state or they'd tell their friend who's a product person you know yeah. elsewhere and um that was the big wake-up call for us it was like after that first conference we kept asking ourselves well two questions one what could this have been if we were full-time, you know, how do we carve a path for us to get into this full-time? But then two, what do we do these other 363 days a year? You know, that there are other yeah. ways that we can help product people. And then that's how really the rest of the product collective community sort of evolved after that.
0: I love that you started with something that was very, it was incredibly not scalable. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the fact that you were manually calling, you know, each person or emailing each person, um, it, again it builds a bridge back to what most product teams ought to be doing at the beginning validation stages of their products is doing something that's incredibly not scalable to learn yeah. um, will anybody come to this thing will is anybody even interested will you respond to me is this email <laughs> yeah. even right you know <laughs> right um, i love that story because that's that is truly entrepreneurial um and then it built into something where you had to iterate towards what it is today. How, okay. What was, what was the first year? Of so
1: 2015 conference? 15 was the first ooh, sort of industry as a product conference. Now, when did you, I know this year's completely different and last year was completely different,
0: Yeah, but and we can get into that. But when, yeah. when did you, cause you ended up doing one in Europe
1: as well, correct? Yeah. So, you know, I think over the years, we've always tried to, well, once we got, you know, 2015, we're like, can we, can we make it a second year? Like the big thing yeah, was just, yeah, can we do this again? Yeah. But is then, it a trend you know, or is it an anomaly? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. After that, after 2016, especially that's when we we knew that this was, I mean, yeah. I had jumped in full time at that time and that's you awesome. know, th- we were going to make this our thing, right? So w- every year we wanted to do one big thing, like push ourselves, um, really challenge ourselves with one big thing. And it was 2018 when we pushed ourselves to bring industry to Europe. And so Mm. my partner actually is a native of Ireland. He's um, from County Tipperary. I I should have known that. But uh, yeah, No, no, it's all good. So yeah, Paul has, it just happens to be from Ireland. And when we looked at where to bring industry into Europe, you know, we we had noticed that as our community was growing, we were getting more people from Europe that were taking part in product collective. And so we, you know, it's a little bit harder to, to for people that are in Europe to come to our conference in Cleveland. We get that. Yep. Um, so we always had the idea of bringing it to Europe at some point and, and trying to grow that community a little bit more. And so we were looking at places to bring it and, and Paul, obviously partial to Ireland, but we're like, well, let's, let's take a objective look at what are some good markets. And it turned out the Dublin ended up being a great market because It is the European headquarters for a lot of these big, a bunch uh, of companies are there. Yeah. Yeah. Like Airbnb. And um, Mm -hmm. I I believe Apple and and so many others. Um, but a lot of London also- companies were even moving out of London and going to Dublin. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's and there, there were. I think at first there were like tax reasons for doing so, yeah. but now yeah. there's a talent reason to do so uh-huh. because you have all yeah. these people that are there that that are wanting to work in tech, and um, so Dublin is just a great place. We brought it there in and spring of 2018 was our first year, and we actually had so every every spring now, you know, Dublin is our European home. Um, we actually had uh, the 2020 in person edition March. 9th through 11th, which March 12th, that's when everything closed down. I mean, we put on the last conference in all of our
0: literally the last conference, maybe in all worlds, because like everything stopped.
1: Yes. Yes. And that was definitely the most challenging conference we've ever put on and things, uh, things escalated so quickly. I'd say starting with like 10 days to a week before the conference. Not that that's when, you know, coronavirus or COVID-19 was just starting, but that's when it just ramped up exponentially. Um, Everybody, at least the news of it was spreading so fast. So fast. Like just again, exponentially every day, I'd say. We were, my, my business
0: partner and I were in Georgia at a, um, a peer group and I remember sitting at the dinners and each night, the news got heightened and heightened yeah. and heightened until literally we were going, we better get on a flight now because we're not sure if we'll be able to travel. Right. And it was that kind of question of like, how fast is this going to shut everything down? And then we yeah. had some friends, because I think Seattle was the kind of first like shutdown here in the States. And one of our peers in the group was from Seattle and they were like, we're leaving. They literally just got like, they said, we, we, we heard this announcement and they shut their laptops they stood up and they walked out of the room. I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So yeah, that was, man, you slid that in. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, and that, I mean, it was, that was pretty wild. And I remember at the end, um, like we had a flight the next day on March 12th and my wife woke me up in the middle of the night and said, just so you know, I don't want you to freak out, but you might not be able to get home. The president has a press conference right now saying that all flights from Europe are banned. And that, and I'm, and I'm oh pulling out my iPhone my as gosh. this is happening as I'm on the phone. And it's like, the NBA is canceled, March, uh-huh. March is canceled. Uh-huh. Tom Hanks has it. And <laughs> it was all just like, come Hanks. At got me. it. We were all we were all Every, so I think, You know, one. yeah. Once once Tom Hanks is is getting it. By the way, Tom Hanks used to live in my hometown of Lakewood, Ohio. No um, so way. Yeah, special place in, in our heart for hometown Tom Hanks. I but but yeah, he um anyway, I was able to get back. That Good. all US citizens were allowed back and and it made it home safe and sound but yeah it was it was definitely definitely pretty wild and that was the la- you know that was the last in person experience we've had for industry and you know, we're talking about what's coming up now now it's all virtual we actually put on our first virtual conference last fall yeah. um, we have our next virtual conference coming up this spring um and you know that this whole thing f- sort of forced us to really learn what it means to put on a virtual conference and how is that virtual conference experience unique and and you know what what you have to have i mean in the beginning we were asking ourselves will people even come to a virtual yeah, conference yeah. will they pay a ticket for a virtual conference right but, um but it turned out that we were forced to figure out that actually virtual conferences can be a very cool thing and we yeah. had a lot of fun with the fall virtual conference that we did um we had more attendees than we even had for the last in-person edition um, oh, which makes sense. You know, people yeah. can come from all over now. You don't have to, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to get on a flight. So, um, and we, we still tried to, you know, every, I, I mentioned before every year we tried to do something big. Um, well, one, of, some of those big things aren't just like bringing our conference to a new place. It's about how do we, how do we like up the ante with the experience that attendees are getting? So yeah, over the years we started adding, celebrity keynotes. We started adding, you know, we hired a journalist that takes notes. And so every attendee gets notes that um, are emailed to them right after the conference. So they don't have to worry about taking notes from every talk. And so we tried to add some of these unique experiences to the virtual side too. And um, we even had like Ben Folds give a virtual performance, which is kind of fun. I remember seeing that. That's right. I wasn't there,
0: but I think I saw saw people chatting about it on Twitter. I
1: mean, yeah, I got some attention for sure. It was a lot of fun. And so we're trying to, you know, this next virtual conference we have coming up in the spring, like, yes, we have awesome speakers. Yes. There's still the virtual, you know, one-on-one video networking and small group discussions, but um, we, you know, we're trying to add some of those other fun elements to it too. We want people to not just feel like, Oh, it's a day of zooms, you know, no, this is a, (laughs) you're coming to a conference. You just happen to be seated from your, from your home office though. I do. uh, I mean, I've, I've actually attended a few
0: of these and, and, you can tell the people that get that, that, like they're they're actually allowing themselves to explore, and be creative beyond just a, a, a day of zooms. Um, what I guess after doing the first one, what did you learn? What's the thing where you went like, now this is what can actually make this work really really well? Um, are there any like key kind of takeaways? They went, ah, do that again and let's up that up. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think oh, certain things that worked really well um, were that we added a lot of variety to it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we had a we had a hunch about, and I feel like we validated was that people will attend a virtual conference differently than they attend an in-person conference. For most people, you know, if you're going to an in-person conference. Well, at least if you're coming to ours in Cleveland, I know the minute you walk into public auditorium, which is this historic hall that once, it's where the Beatles performed and the you know Rolling Stones and Elvis and has all this history. That's where we hold industry every year. Once you walk in the doors, like you're in our experience, you're gonna be in it all day and the next day. And but with a virtual conference, you're not necessarily walking into that, right? Like you're you're still in your home. Your kids are still yeah, there. You're still you're, in your bedroom. Your dog yeah. still needs to be fed and walked, you know? Right. So right. W- what we knew is that people might experience this differently. And so what we, we yeah. try to do is create, yes, it's a two-day virtual conference, but you know, we're-, we're Different options to it. Like we know that people might attend some of the keynotes, but not all of them. People mm-hmm. might um, you know, want to take part in some of the networking, but not all of the networking. And so we tried to create enough of these sort of um choose your own adventure type experiences, like yeah. in the middle of the keynote talks where where people can, you know, feel free to do what they what they want to do. Um, but so that that we're kind of continuing with. Um, I'll say some some things that were, you know, I, I think people love to learn from, from speakers. Right. But one of the things we were kind of curious about is does for the keynotes, do the keynotes have to be live, you know, or can they be pre-recorded? Oh, recorded, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I mean, think we part see of Apple, was-
0: Apple's, um, keynotes are obviously all pre-recorded now and yeah.
1: Well, right, and and so what we've noticed is some of these virtual conferences, when they're live, um, it can be cool. But unless the talk was designed to be live, it can be weird too, right? Like yeah. the keynotes giving their the keynote speakers giving their talk, and maybe there's a tech issue, or maybe people are trying to interact but they can't interact, or there's a delay. So we said, you know what? For the keynotes, they're pre-recorded, but let the speakers are also there chatting with attendees during oh, the actual cool. broadcast. Yeah, great and live with the Q&A right afterwards so um we we it's it's a mix of um you know the experience a lot of it is live because the discussions and the networking and, and the Q&As and all that but um so just kind of trying to navigate that um i feel like we we learned from the first one and so we're 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 sort of tweaking some things with the second one but for the most part the first one went really well and so we're we're grateful for that and we're trying to trying to keep people's expectations high and meet those expectations for this next one in the spring
0: um, okay. So I want to pivot one last topic real quick before we yeah. wrap up. One one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is you're putting on a conference that really has a niche focus, right? You're talking particularly to product managers or people that would put themselves in a, an arena of product in general. Are there, as you're thinking about your keynotes, as you're thinking about your breakout sessions, your talks, your your workshops, et cetera, are there common themes that you're looking to kind of know, like, here's the 12 things we know we have to cover. We have to have who talks about x we we need to have someone who's generally kind of in this space of topic y right yeah do, do you have these themes that you you're you've kind of learned over time is what the industry
1: is still trying to wrap their heads around so, all right, here in the very beginning days of industry, we had themes and the, the themes. Actually, I know the first year it was like build, launch, scale. And so you yeah, yeah. have some talks that are in the build phase of product and the launch phase of product scaling up. So what, what happens we work for bigger like enterprise companies and what we learned? I mean, so this is something that this is just a personal opinion, right? Like yeah. other people, oh, I know there's plenty of conferences that have themes and they work super well for us. What we noticed is that when we tried to have those themes, people tried to sort of fit their talks into the themes and sometimes Uh, it worked well, other times it didn't. And so what what we realized was like, look, I don't, if if there's a speaker, if I'm asking you to speak and you are super passionate about a certain topic, but I say, well, but these are the themes that we have, you might try to fit your talk into that theme or come up Uh with a brand new talk for that theme, but it might not be exactly what you were passionate about. And so for Mm -hmm. us now, what we look for is like, we do heavily curate the, the lineup. And and so when we have a call for speakers, like what we ask for is, Hey, there's not a set theme, but this is our audience that knowing that this is our audience, audience. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, what are you passionate to speak on and what do you think would be best for this audience? And then based on that, I mean, we're always careful to not choose talks that are like overlapping with each other a lot, but I want people speaking on topics that they're passionate about that I know our audience cares about. And so long mm-hmm. as it meets those, um, kind of boxes, like I, we're, we're totally open to it. I'd rather have somebody speaking on something that they're super passionate about than trying to sort of retrofit their, uh, you know, the, a talk yeah. that they would give yeah. to a specific theme. So that's kind of what, how, how we've been approaching industry um these last few years. And it's, it's worked pretty well. I love that. I love that. I think that's really
0: smart. Cause I've, I have been to conferences where you can tell, all right, I might've heard a speaker, you know, give this speech before someplace else. And I thought, oh, this is going to be really good. And then you could tell they adapted it for the, the space. And it's like, that didn't work as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so no, I think that's really smart and, you know, you want people to be confident on stage, um, yeah. let them, let them be able to talk about what they actually confidently believe. Um, uh, I love that. Cool. Well, I'm curious, Uh, obviously, as you're pulling people together, you've created a community of thought leaders. What is some, what is an area? How, how are you exploring and learning yourself? That's kind of the last question we always ask everybody is where, where are you growing? Where are you learning? Where are you testing? What's, um, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What's, what's that look like for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, so for me, and there's, there's like multiple ways that I, you know, feel like I'm learning, I'm learning more as a product person. And the cool thing about that is I learn from people that I've now become friends with, like some of these, you know, we, we first brought people to industry because we, you know, we wanted to learn from the best and we brought the best to us. And so, you know, kind of some selfish reasons for that, but of course there is. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm always trying to learn as an entrepreneur too. And especially as a bootstrapped entrepreneur. And Mm -hmm. I think part of it is like giving myself the confidence to, be that bootstrapped entrepreneur, you know, that, that can, you know, believing in myself that I can do bigger things and that, you know, I could run this business with my partner um, and our team successfully. And so, um I you know I love learning from other people like Jason Fried is somebody yeah. that yeah, I have always looked up to and I mean the cool thing for me like just as a Jason Fried fan is like he's now kind of taken industry as as a bit of a residency like he's spoken in industry multiple times and I love that um we love bringing him out for sure and but I think like paying attention to people not just Jason but like people like Jason that are bootstrapped entrepreneurs that um you know it, it, it sort of saying things that fly in the face of conventional wisdom too, right? Like sometimes it makes me feel a little bit like, okay, like all these people that might, you know, give the naysayer comments. Again, those people that way back when were saying, well, you can't build a tech conference in Cleveland. You're saying I don't have to listen to them. You know, I can, yeah. I can do my yeah. own thing here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I love learning from people like that, whether it be through listening to podcasts or, you know, reading books that they put out. Um, speaking of books, I mean, you mentioned what book, like what books am I reading? There, this isn't necessarily even a business book, but there's a book called Like Brothers, and it's by Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass. They're All brothers right. that are also filmmakers, actors, producers. Um, we're actually having, so Mark was set to speak at the in-person edition of Industry last year. Of course, we had to postpone that. And as of right sure. now, if we can put on an in-person edition of Industry this fall, which we're not ruling it out. We're actually trying to work. towards. I mean, confidence maybe, is growing right now. So hopefully yeah, maybe it's, yeah. I mean, as long as, as long as, you know, we're all vac- have access to vaccines and things yep. like that, yep. like we could do it safely. Um, and Mark, Mark would be there if we're able to do it. But Mark has this kind of this uh, saying, I guess, that I've just heard him mention at talks, which is that the cavalry isn't coming. And I think as a bootstrapped mm-hmm. entrepreneur, I, it hit me hard um, in a good way, which is, you know, sometimes people, I mean, I'll. I, you could go out and find talks that Mark's given online and and he, that's probably what he'll, he'll talk about at industry too. But, you know, sometimes people say the cavalry is coming and everybody's looking for that sort of uh, looking to be saved in a way. And so it might be that yeah, yeah. whether it's a filmmaker that is like, I'm looking for that to find that one agent that's going to pick me up. And once they pick me up, man, that, you know, I, my career can take off or that entrepreneur. It's like, once I find that one investor, but I need that investor to give me that money we need to look at it as the cavalry isn't coming. We are Mm -hmm. the cavalry. Like Mm -hmm. it is up to us. We need to make this happen as an entrepreneur or as an indie filmmaker or whatever it might be. And I love that. Like it's, it's in a way that can be scary, but it's also empowering. It's like, we can create our own opportunities here. And, um, yeah, it's one of the reasons why, like, again, I'm a fan of Mark's work, but when I heard him give that talk, um, I'm like, man, you know what? Entrepreneurs can learn from Mark. Product people can learn from Mark. So super excited to bring him to industry. But yeah, so those are those are some things that kind of come to mind for me. Mike, I, I
0: absolutely love that. I love pulling from people that are not in my industry mm. to learn and apply. And I'm with you. I, Crema's bootstrapped, right? I mean, we've been at this for 11
1: years mm. and people are like, oh my gosh, you grew so fast. I'm like,
0: for 11 years,
1: (laughs) the 11 year. Uh, yeah, right. The overnight success story of 11 years.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, yes, I have close to 50 employees, which isn't even that big in the scheme of things. Um, it, it takes a while to get there. Um, but the, but the passion and the excitement and going like, you know, when you privately own your company, you can do whatever you want and you can go like, huh? I'm going to go after that other industry because it looks interesting to me, or I'm going to hire these people because I think they'd be helpful. You know, it's like, those are decisions you can make. And then you get to empower your community that you've built around you to do awesome work. Exactly. Um, ah, So much good. Well, I want to throw it back to you. What I know obviously at the conference going up, but where can people learn about the conference, learn about you, learn about product collective, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd love for people to check out the community at Product Collective. You could do that at productcollective.com. It's free to take part in Product Collective and in most of the things. I mean, we have a Slack community. Um, we have a uh, industry interview series do live video chats a month. Um, obviously, I host the podcast. So people that wanna come in, get involved, learn, you could do that. There's no cost to doing that. Um, obviously, if you wanna come to the conference. We'd love to have you at the conference. You could learn more about that at industryconference.com. Um, and if you wanted the virtual conference coming up, you just go industryconference.com slash virtual, um, it is shaping up to be an awesome one. I mean, we have Marty Kagan, Teresa Torres, um, Jules Walter. So these are some like product people that I always looked up to. And, uh, in fact, we actually, I, you know, Marty Kagan, as you just pointed out, has a new book out called Mm -hmm. empowered. Um, people that buy a conference plus pass, you actually get a a copy digitally delivered to you uh, of empowered uh, by Marty Kagan, which we're super excited about. So, um, yeah, I'd love to have people that's April 20th to the 21st. Love to have people take part in industry virtual too. I know our, our, several of our product managers will be there. They've been um, in the
0: events, um, it's crazy, but I'm excited to, to check out what you're doing this year. So, um, thank you. Thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for creating a community that, that obviously people are product, we love product managers. We love, um, sending them to conferences like what you do. So, so thank you for doing it.
1: Well, I really appreciate that for real. And, uh, and thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I, this was a lot of fun. So yeah, I really appreciate it, George. Such a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty, with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.